Hey, good morning, everyone. Just like Julie said, how good it is to be together here at church in the CLC. It's good to see your faces here today. And you know, I've been in search of something. I've been looking for the road to Damascus. I don't know if you're looking for that road, but if you find it, please let me know. I know these masks have a measure of safety, a feeling that we just seem to be more comfortable with them on right now. But I'm looking for the day that we can free ourselves from that fabric and uh, we can move about in uh, liberation from those masks. After all, we're in a crisis right now, aren't we? We're in a crisis. And you know, I find in a crisis that people move to panic mode rather than prayer mode. And you know, it's kind of like in uh, a time when your house is on fire. What do people do? Typically, they run about trying to grab their wallet, trying to grab their portraits, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to reach for the phone. When they tell us what we need to do is to get on our hands and knees, that's where the safety is. Because at head level, that's where the intensity is, that's where the flames are, that's where the smoke is. And if you want to survive, if you want to be able to withstand that burning house, you need to get on your hands and knees. And i got to tell you, it feels a lot right now like the world is on fire, does it not? It feels like the, our house is burning down. And my dear friends, we need to be on our hands and knees. We need to be going before God in prayer. I want to share with you a moment of scripture that we find here in Luke's gospel. Some words that Jesus shares. And it says in the word of the Lord that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name and bring in your kingdom and give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us and don't lead us into temptation. And he also said to them, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night and imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And imagine further that he answers from within the house, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up to give you anything. And I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. And I tell you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And everyone who asks receives. And whoever seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Which father among you would give a snake to your child or the child asks for a fish? And if a child asks for an egg, what father would give the child a scorpion? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, you know, 2020 is not going to be a year that we will soon forget. In March, you know, the world stopped as we know it. Borders closed, travel was suspended, schools stopped, we couldn't go to the hospital anymore to visit anyone or 
to the nursing home to see our loved ones. Sports stopped, even Major League Baseball and March Madness. All those things came to a screeching halt. And then the 24-hour news cycle took over our lives. Did it not tabulating daily the pandemic's carnage? I mean, hearing daily the loss of life, the loss of job, the plummeting stock market, people panicked that they were losing it all. And then came that painful separation from our loved ones where we couldn't go and see someone in the hospital or even over to their house because of fear that we were going to spread the virus. And just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, violence erupted on our streets and before our eyes. And then it turned to all kinds of looting and all kinds of rioting. And the fallout has fueled fear and panic, really pandemonium on our streets. And now as we face the fall, we're in a very polarized election season, finger pointing casting mud on one another, not to mention all the wildfires that are going around us or that seemingly endless strain of hurricanes that comes to visit our land, even the talk of earthquakes like here in the last few days, the one that was felt in Toledo, and even the additional talk of more viruses coming. Mutation is here and pestilence. Friends, if there is ever a day you need God. It's today. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. And I want to extend that invitation to you today to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is a day that you need to be born again. This is a day that you need to come and depend on God. And really, all of us that call of ourselves believers, we need more than ever to be on our hands and knees depending on God. We need God more than ever. Now, you know, as believers, crisis isn't the extreme, but it's the norm. I mean, trials and tribulations, Jesus said, are always going to be with you. We've been in a Bible study, and everybody's invited. It's church-wide on Wednesday night at 7. We gather on Zoom. We pray for one another. We read the Bible. We share what God is, is speaking to us, the Holy Spirit sharing and revealing about His Word, and, and we challenge one another to follow God's call upon our life. And one of the things we've been learning is we've been looking at some of the general epistles like First and Second Peter as these people, these believers were following the Lord and there was great trial and turmoil that they were experiencing. This is nothing new. But we also find that they sought God. They relied upon the Lord. You know, it seems today so many people don't do that. And I think Maybe the primary reason that people don't do that is they don't know the real essence of prayer and what it's all about. You see, prayer for a lot of people is just trying to get answers. But we find here in Luke's gospel and in the life of Christ that prayer is really about getting to know God, depending on God. That's what we find here in these words that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 11. He shows us here that prayer is all about recognizing our absolute dependence upon the Lord. And more than ever, you and I need to do that. Now, I'm going to admit to you that throughout my life, I have had a lot of success in prayer at times, but I've also been intermittent in my persistence. There's been some days that I felt like I was able to grab onto the hem of his garment, but then there were other times where I just lost it. I couldn't sustain that 
life took over and busyness came and it got my attention off to other things. But I do know this, friends. Prayer is not about just turning over in bed at night and saying a few words. Now, probably all of us would have to confess that we have struggled at times to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we say that with a lot of embarrassment because as we look at Luke chapter 11 and the many other places in the gospel narrative, we find Jesus daily, routinely going to the Heavenly Father in prayer. You know, for me, prayer seems to be preparation for the battle, but for Jesus, it seemed to be the battle itself. And for Jesus, prayer was like running the marathon, but for ministry, it was like going to receive a gold medal. For Jesus, prayer was like taking that final examination, but ministry like going to receive the diploma. Where did Jesus sweat great drops of blood? It certainly wasn't in Pilate's hall, was it? It wasn't under the burden of the cross there at the Via Della Rosa. No, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane that we read about where Jesus was sweating those great drops of blood. In the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us that it's with a strong cry and tears that Jesus made his petitions to God. I'll never forget there a few months ago, it seems like an eternity now, but a whole group of us from the church were standing there in that area reported to be the Garden of Gethsemane, and I, I began to wonder about that experience, how Jesus withdrew, and those three friends, they uh, laid there and, and fell asleep as Jesus went on and was praying. And I began to think to myself, you know, if I had been there and I saw Jesus behaving like this, I, I would have probably really lost it and been completely Fearful of the future. I mean, if Jesus is sweating great drops of blood here as he's praying, what's it going to be like when we get to crisis time? But those three friends, you know, oftentimes are how we kind of act. If you notice, the, the three sleeping friends of his, they didn't need a melatonin or a Tylenol PM. They didn't have a care in the world. They just rolled over and went to sleep right in the moment of pending crisis. But if you notice, when the crisis came... Jesus went to the cross in great triumph. And yet his three friends were the ones that sank back and fell away. Isn't it true that we usually go to someone and ask the best from them? We go to a professional golfer and we say, hey, teach me how to putt. Or we go to a scholar and we say, teach me how to do research. Or we go to a banker, and we say, teach me how to invest. And what did this motley crew do here? What did these disciples do? They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to turn water into wine or teach us how to preach or teach us how to heal people. But they saw routinely Jesus going, getting away, and praying. And you know what, if Jesus did that, how much more do you and I today need to do that? Prayer was crucial in his life. And Jesus wants it to be vital in your life and my life. And he responded here in this text by giving them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes we call it the Disciples' Prayer. But let me ask you today, what is it that you really need today? What is the desired result 
of your prayer life. God wants our praying to be the kind of experience that we're drawn to and not that we're dragged to. And how do you pray is what we find here in this text. In fact, if you narrow it down, there's a couple of basic things that we can take away from this text that's probably on the minds of the disciples and no doubt on our minds, and that is, why do we pray at all? And how do you pray? Maybe even when do you pray? And one thing for certain, prayer must be more than this emergency break glass kind of time. It must be more than a, like a, a, a lamp of sorts that you have to go over and rub in the case of an emergency. Much that passes today, my friends, for prayer is superstitious in our day. Many of the things that people seem to pray about are unworthy of this pattern of prayer that Jesus here has given to us. It seems to be more self-centered prayer. And the disciples here were slow on the uptake about a lot of things that were going on in the life of Christ. But they were precisely on point here when they came before the Lord and they asked of this question. For they saw Jesus here, the answer to their question and to life. How do you pray? How do you pray? You know, there are a number of things, obviously, that we could talk about in this text. But three I want us to just kind of take away from this today. That's kind of spoken to me out of this. And I've already alluded to it many times here this morning. But the awesome truth here is that Jesus prayed regularly. And like I say, if Jesus prayed all the time like this, how much more do we need to pray? Jesus took time to pray. He made it a vital part of his daily life. It, it was on his tablet. It, it was in his book, his calendar. It, it was always there. It was so routine and so normal. And he disciplined himself to pray on a regular basis. And I know busy schedules, and I, I know what it is like to have timelines and deadlines. I, I know time pressures and stresses and all the demands of life because I live in that world too like the rest of you. But I also know that when you're busy and when the schedules are tight and when life is frantic and when you're scurrying around to get the kids here to pick up the, the grandchildren or you're trying to get to the doctor or get all these to-do lists done or trying to get something to your boss quickly, that's the moment when you need prayer. I'll never forget that English missionary Florence Allshorn there years ago. She made a statement that really rang a bell with me. It really hit home. And she said that the only real test of a person's prayer is, do you want God? Think of that. Prayer really says a lot about who you are as a disciple. Or who you are, I should say, in relationship to God. For do you really want God? Everything worthwhile takes time. Everything we do in life needs to be regular and disciplined time. Just ask any artist. Ask anybody that's trying to learn to play the piano. Ask any musician. Ask any athlete out there. If you're going to be successful, it takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes endurance. It takes stick to And the same is true with prayer. Jesus felt the need to pray regularly, and so must we. 
a, a few years ago, you know, now they put that infamous, uh, that very famous clock in the town hall there in Copenhagen, Denmark, I'm told. It took 40 years, really over 40 years, to manufacture that clock and millions upon millions of dollars. And I'm told that there's 10 faces of the clock, really. It tells the time of day, the day of the week, the week of the month, the month of the year, the year of the century, and it tracks the movements of planets and the sun for some 2,500 years. You realize there's only some pieces in the clock that only move once in 2,500 years. But there's a problem. They discovered that the clock is not accurate. After all those years of building that thing, after all the millions of dollars, after everything that was said and done, they found out it loses one second every 300 years. And how do they know that? Well, it is said that the clock in the town hall there in Copenhagen was really measured against the clock of the universe with all of its myriad of parts from the atoms to the suns and the planet and the stars. And the clock is so accurate that every clock on the earth is measured against it. And 300 years ago, Deitus looked up at the universe and they were awestruck like all of us as you go out and you look at the celestial, you look up at the universe, you see all the stars and the sun and the planets, and they looked up 300 years ago and they lost sight of God. God became a soulless face to them. But no one prays to a soulless face. No, Jesus taught the disciples here, it's going to come easily to your lips that you begin our Heavenly Father. So easy to us. God became a soulless face to them, but not to the disciples and not to Jesus. No one prays to a soulless face. No one sets at the first law of thermodynamics or really sets there and communes with the law. No one says, Oh, ground of being, hallowed be your name, or Oh, ultimate source, give me some daily bread. As regular as a clock, Jesus visited with the Heavenly Father. And so must we. I tell you today, you do have a prayer, and it's daily, and it's routine. A second thing I would say to you today is that Jesus prayed sensibly, and so must we. Not only did he pray routinely and regularly, but he prayed sensibly. He played with some intelligent common sense. And you know, prayer is God working on us. I've got a picture of a whittler. I don't know if anybody's had the opportunity to whittle in life, but I can remember as a young man, there were some people around me, my grandfather, my dad, uh, they would do some whittling, and they'd take a stick and, or a piece of wood, and they'd just do all kinds of carvings and things. And, and I kind of tried to do that myself. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of when we lay our self, our lives, all of our schedules, our business, our worries before God, and we just let the Lord whittle away at our life. We let that heavenly sandpaper begin to work in our life 
and shape us and mold us. We become the clay that we hand into the potter's hand to shape us and work in our lives. Prayer is God working in us. And I know today that many people strive to avoid God. They're afraid that God is going to put some kind of task upon them that they don't want to do. Or they're afraid that God's going to punish them. Or they're afraid of, of something else that God might do. But no, God invites us to abide and confide. God said, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, all you who are burdened, and I will give you rest. I will not blast you, but I will bless you. I will receive you. I will give grace unto you. Now, if you ask, why doesn't God bless me? You've asked the wrong question. I mean, he did not use prayer as a magical device to rub in a time of an emergency. How easy it is to really blurt out a desperate prayer as we are traveling maybe 80 miles an hour down 129 or, or down I-75 and we're going just as fast as we can and then all of a sudden to say, oh Lord, help the brakes to withstand right now before I get in this accident. Some years ago, I subscribed to the Sports Illustrated magazine, and I'll never forget, there was an article in there that I read, and the sports writer was interviewing a major league pitcher, and the pitcher said, uh, he said, uh, you know, every time I get up to the mound, I'm praying, Lord, get him out for me. My prayer is, God, strike him out. And the article went on, and a little bit later, he was interviewing another player on another team, an opposing team, and that player was known for his batting ability, for his string of hits that he can put together. And, and that player said, well, every time I get into the on-deck circle and I step up to the plate, he says, I'm praying, God, give me a hit. Help me, God, hit this ball. And with tongue firmly in cheek, the sports writer there concluded at the end, said, God must certainly be confused when they face each other. The poet Longfellow, I think, said it the best when he said, What discord we should bring into the universe if all of our prayers were answered? Do you think today that you can govern the universe better than our Lord? You know, it gives me pain sometimes to hear some of the wearisome petitions of folks asking for senseless things they don't really need. I'll never forget the time that I was up, and it was on a Saturday, and I was up at the, at the James Center, and there were so many people that were suffering. Some of the saddest cases you've ever seen. And there'd be real small kids going into the room, maybe seven, eight years old, to see their dad for the last time. Just a young family. You see all kinds of horrendous things. And then to hear someone praying, oh, I hope the Buckeyes win today. The pattern of prayer that we find here is certainly stunning to us, those of us who call us disciples. We need to pray sensible prayers. We need to pray giving ourselves to God completely. And not only did Jesus pray regularly and pray sensibly, but he prayed thirdly, confidently. And so must we. For he says, thy will be done that was the prayer of jesus and it's a prayer that we ought to pray a prayer with confidence lord whatever happens i trust in you i'm totally 
absolutely depending upon you, and I know your will is going to be right. I know you know everything far better than I do, and I know it's going to be right. He knows what we need even before we ask it. And this is precisely what that country music star there years ago, Garth Brooks, gave us in that humorous song that thank God for unanswered prayer, right? Take a look at this picture. I'm going to confess something to you. This was something I coveted back when I was probably not bigger than a fifth grader. Maybe you've been there. Something when you're younger, you're really praying, hey, I'd like to have one of these. And Dad was like, no, son, you don't need one of those things. They're too dangerous. You're just too young, and it's not the right time for you. And, of course, uh, one of those Friday weekends came, and I went uh, to a campground that wasn't too nearby. And one of my friends, uh, by the name of Billy, had just got one of these things. And I finally convinced him to let me ride it. And he told me how to start it. He told me how to keep it going, but he forgot to tell me how to stop it. And I think I made about five laps around the campground that day. And every time I came in earshot of him, he started hollering instructions, but I was long gone by the time he ever told me how to do it. And I finally just had to turn the thing over in a pile of dirt. Probably lost some years of my life then during those laps around the campground, but you know what? I got up, dusted myself off, and as I was limping back to everybody, I thought, you know what? Dad's right. I don't need one of these things. Likewise, God, like a heavenly parent, knows the best for you and for me. And our best prayer is a confident, thy will be done. You know, I got a note the other day, and it was on a post-it note, and I had those terrible letters we hate to get, ASAP. And I thought, oh, no, you know when you get ASAP, there's more worry and stress and concern coming into your life. ASAP. I want to take that and I want to change that around for us in this season. I saw a sign here the other day that's always say a prayer. And I want to claim that for us in this season that we find ourselves. Always say a prayer. And you know, over the next few weeks, with whatever comes at us, whatever we encounter, whatever dishes out this world into our lives, I want us to be in prayer routinely as a church family. I'd like to even suggest throughout until the end of October at least, just that all of us get in a routine as we enter into this fall season of always saying a prayer. My initial thought was, hey, wouldn't it be great if our church family would kind of do like the Wesleys and every Friday let's pray? And then I thought, you know, I think right now we need God Every day in our life. We need God all the time, like Daniel, morning, noon, and night. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if our church family, if, if we could all just together, wherever we're at, behind our mask or our desk or at home, if we could have a time of prayer together, just stop and pause wherever you're at, sometime around the lunch hour, and be in prayer Go before our Heavenly Father and say, Lord, thy will be done, for I trust in you. Always say a prayer, because you know what? You do have a prayer. Let us, let us pray.
Almighty God, as the rain falls outside, may your spirit fall upon our hearts. Stir our hearts. Strengthen our hearts. Lead our hearts and guide our hearts throughout these difficult and challenging days. And Lord, comfort our hearts. Give us boldness, Lord, to face the challenges right now. Help us to stand on your truth. Help us, Lord, to turn to you just as Jesus did day in and day out. Help us to know, oh God, that we do have a prayer. that We can trust in you and lay our lives absolutely in your hands. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.